Welcome. This is the Way Home Podcast. A podcast built around conversations on church, community, and culture. And now, here's Dan Darling. Well, welcome to the Way Home Podcast. I'm Dan Darling. Today, we're going to talk with one of my favorite Christian thinkers and apologists, Lee Strobel, and we're going to talk a lot about his personal testimony. I'm not sure if you know this, but Lee, prior to becoming Christian, was an atheist. He was an award-winning legal reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and we're going to talk about his journey to faith. It's very, very interesting. Uh, talk about apologetics in the 21st century and how it's changed in the last several years with our increasingly post-Christian society and how that gives Christians a fresh opportunity to retell the Christian story. We're also going to talk about a personal crisis of faith that he had about three years ago. He had a, a very serious health crisis where he was very close to death, that he came away from that with a fresh understanding of God's grace. And so I encourage you to listen to this interview with Lee Strobel about his new book, The Case for Grace. I also want to tell you again about our conference coming up in March, our 26th and 27th Leadership Summit on racial reconciliation. There's a coupon code WAYHOME that'll give you 15% off. If you go to my podcast page on danieldarling.com, click on the show notes. We'll have all kinds of information there. But for now, let's join Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk to you about a, a bunch of things, about your new book and, and some things going on. But first of all, just wanted to... Uh, Talked a little bit about where you are now. You moved to Houston, and you right. have a new position. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah, I'm a professor of Christian thought at Houston Baptist University and a teaching pastor at Woodlands Church down here in the Woodlands, Texas. And we just started an interesting venture, a non-for-profit as part of Houston Baptist University called the Center for American Evangelism. Mm. And uh, our hope there is to try to, uh, through innovation, research, um, conferences, um, uh, communications, and so forth, sort of help crack the code of what it looks like in the 21st century to share Jesus in an increasingly <laughs> hostile and, and uh, indifferent yeah. culture. Yeah, and I wanted to talk a little bit about your story. I, I'm guessing most people listening know Lee Strobel, they know your story, but I want to run through it again because it's sure. so fascinating. I remember when I was pastoring, I'd always give people your books, people who are skeptics or you know seekers, and say, hey, here's a guy who was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune, you know, his wife becomes a Christian, and like any good husband, he sets out to prove his wife wrong, and then he becomes a Christian. Did I get that right? Pretty much so, although, you know, part of me wanted to prove her wrong. Um, part of me was in journalist mode, where I was going to call a ball a ball, a strike a strike, and yeah. just just try to see where the evidence really pointed. So, But a lot of me didn't want it to be true because I was living a very sinful life and mm -hmm. did not want to be held accountable for that. So it was a lot of mixed emotions as I launched that journey. So when you were in that journey, was there any Christians that kind of worked with you that you saw, you know, these people are good examples of, of what it must look like to be a Christian, or these are people I want to be like. Yeah, you know, yeah. there were some along the way uh, who were kind of links in the chain uh, of me coming to faith. One was my high school English teacher, Jim Hainert, who was a strong Christian, later became a missionary to Japan, and um, he was a big influence on me. Um, one of the biggest influences, though, was a guy named Ron, who was the hmm. second in command of the Bel Air Street Gang in Chicago. He was kind of a 
gangster terrorist in Chicago, <laughs> uh, shot a guy in the back, um, was wanted for attempted murder, fled the city, moved to Portland, Oregon, where he became a believer. His life was transformed by Christ, and he ended up coming back to Chicago and giving himself up and admitting wow. that he had done this crime. And I was so impressed by that because here was a guy who was you know, probably going to face two decades in prison for what he did. The cops were no longer looking for him, but he felt like I've been reconciled with God through Jesus, but I haven't been reconciled through to society because there's still a warrant out for my arrest. So he came in, confessed, uh, and, and here I am, an atheist reporter, and I'm hearing this, and I'm thinking, this is unusual. And some guy would just come and, and, and offer himself up and say, look, I, I did it. It was wrong. I confess it. I want to turn from it, and I want to say I'm sorry for it. So um, I wrote an article about him that was on page three of the Chicago Tribune about this guy who used to be this uh, gangster and is now claimed to be uh, changed by God. And sure enough, the judge read my article and uh, sentenced him to go home and to be with his wife and family. Let him go. Wow. And I remember I ran up to him and I said, wow, I've never seen that before. And and he said, well, Lee, what that judge did was show me grace, Mm -hmm. Uh, just like, you know, a little like Jesus did. And he said, I know you're an atheist. You told me that. But you know what? If you let him, God will show you grace, too. Wow. And, 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 you know, this is interesting because, you know, his story and then obviously your story gives you the, you know, just a great example of what God enjoys doing and, and taking people who seem so far from him and bringing yeah. them to him. And and I guess if you could maybe just a word of encouragement to believers, you know, especially you think of a, an atheist journalist for the Chicago Tribune, someone that's the last person you think is going to become yeah. Uh, a world-renowned apologist for the Christian faith. What does that tell us about even the times we live in now? Well, you know, no one is beyond hope. No one is beyond the the reach of the gospel if they'll, uh, you know, receive Christ in repentance and faith. And yeah, I had a father-in-law who was an atheist. And Mm. when I came to faith and and his daughter, my wife, came to faith, uh, we prayed for him for 20 years and felt very discouraged during that time because we saw no interest in God. And he ended up receiving Jesus at age 89 wow. and then having a stroke two hours later that destroyed his mind and eventually killed him. Mm. So in the last cogent conversation of his life, uh, he receives Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And uh, we wanted to give up on him a thousand times. So we all have someone in our life, kind of like, like I was, who you feel like they're never going to come to faith. And yeah. sometimes we kind of give up on them. Mm-hmm. And we almost make the decision for them and say, well, look, they're never going to come to faith. I'm going to move on to somebody else. I'm going to start praying for somebody else. And I think, you know, Al, my father-in-law, now with the Lord, would say to people, don't give up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you've been doing apologetics and preaching and teaching for, for many years now. How has that changed in the sense that the culture that you were in when you were seeking versus the culture we're in now. How has the culture changed and how should our approach change? Yeah, the culture's become more resistant, more hostile um, toward the Christian message. Uh, We have atheists who are much more, I mean, back when I was an atheist, it was kind of an embarrassing thing to be. (laughs) It's not something you want to be bragging about Uh uh, because the culture was different. These days, we have atheists who are very militant, who are specifically going out and trying to undermine the faith of believers. Uh, a lot of websites propagating all mm-hmm. kinds of junk. And, um, you know, I think that's a difficult environment to be in. 
Uh, and yet it's a, it's an environment where uh, hopefully truth will shine forth. And what's happening, as I see a trend in churches, is that um, the average Christian is not reading books by these militant atheists, but their friends are, or their colleagues at work are, or their neighbors are, even family members are, and they're coming to them and saying, hey, you're a Christian, what about this, that, and the other thing? Mm. And they're saying, oh, I don't know, my church has never really taught me about that. And then they're going to the pastors and saying, Pastor, you need to help equip us to be able to respond and, and, and to give um, a reason for the hope that we have. And so I think what's happening is we're seeing a bubbling up from the pews of demand for churches to educate the congregations in terms of Christian apologetics, how to defend what we believe and why we believe it. And I think that's a positive trend. Do you think that presents a unique opportunity for Christians as well. We're kind of seeing the, the collapse almost of a kind of civil religion, kind of Bible Belt Christianity that maybe wasn't true Christianity, and now we have yeah. a chance to retell the story in a fresh way. Do you, do you feel that's an opportunity yeah. for us? You know, uh, back uh, 30 years ago, you know, if somebody asked you, are you a Christian? People would say, oh, yes, of course, I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Well, they weren't really a Christian. And nowadays, they may be more willing to say, no, I'm a skeptic, or no, I'm an atheist, or no, I'm an agnostic. It's become more socially acceptable to say that. Well, that's more accurate in terms of what they are. And so when we see these numbers, um, I, I recently did some polling and found that the, um, you know, the percentage of people who are uncertain about the existence of God is obviously steadily increasing. And uh, among the millennials, it's uh, about one out of four have no confidence that God exists. And we see that kind of thing, and part of that can be explained because people, it's more socially acceptable to say that you're an atheist or agnostic these days. People are saying it 30, 40 years ago, they would claim to be a Christian because they thought they were. Mm -hmm. Now they know they're not. Well, you know what? That's good in the sense it defines, it, it draws lines and uh, helps them realize that, um, you know, no, you, you don't have this false security of being a believer because you're not. Um, and I think, you know, this has brought in some ways the debate about Jesus uh, more to the forefront. And uh, now we're seeing movies like God is Not Dead. We're seeing mm -hmm. books on apologetics that never used to sell, that sell millions of copies. And I think Christians are becoming better equipped over time to be able to be a stronger witness for Christ. So I want to talk about your latest book, The Case for Grace. So you've, most of your books have been really good sort of journalistic approach to answering the questions people have about the Christian faith. This one's a bit more personal. Yeah. You had a, a kind of a crisis in your life that gave you a sort of a fresh perspective on grace. Can you talk a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I had a couple things. Um, one was when I was 18 years old, when my father told me, I don't have enough love for you to fill my little finger. Mm. And uh, I stormed out of the house intending never to go back. And um, uh, that sort of set me on a, unrealizing it at the time, but um, sort of set me on a quest for grace. And then, it, you know, after I spent two years investigating the evidence for Christianity and came to faith at around the age of 30, my life change for the good. I became sort of an addict for stories about how God changes lives. I kind of collect them. I'm fascinated by them. And then three years ago, I had a crisis uh, where uh, my wife found me unconscious. I was taken to the hospital where I woke up and the doctor told me, you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. Wow. And yeah, I had a, a confluence of medical conditions that had caused uh, what's called um, 
hyponatremia, which is a drop in my blood sodium level. Mm. And when that happens, your brain takes in moisture, takes in water and expands and you begin to be mentally uh, confused. You have hallucinations, you have seizures. And um, in my mental confusion at the time, I became convinced that I had lost everything. My family was walking out on me. My wife was leaving me. Uh, you know, my bank accounts were dry. And wow. a God had walked away from me. Mm. And uh, I felt the emotional punch of what that's like. And it was my son, who's a Ph.D. in theology and a professor at Biola University, who uh, came to me and said, Dad, we need to pray. And he walked me through a prayer that really help reconnect me with God on a very deep and profound level. So that, you know, was a crisis in faith precipitated by a mental issue that uh, was brought on by the hyponatremia. But it did connect me with God, I think, in a new, fresh way that I've benefited from ever since. And fortunately, the, you know, I've recovered from the illness and uh, it's never going to recur. It was an odd circumstance that led to it. But I'm grateful it happened because um, I was able to reconnect with God purely as a adopted son of the Most High. Hmm. Wow, that's that's an incredible story. I mean, th- there's a way to kind of investigate the Christian faith academically, Yes, but then there's also the kind of personal experience of, of experiencing yes. God, right? Yeah, you know, I think the experiential case, in other words, God's the way God changes our lives is a necessary but not sufficient bit of evidence. I think it's mm-hmm. necessary because if God has, doesn't change lives, then you have to question, does God exist? I mm-hmm. mean, if, if he doesn't really touch us and transform us, then is he really there? So I think it's a necessary part of the case. I don't, But it's not sufficient mm-hmm. because other religions claim life change too. Right. Um, and so we have to look at the evidence from science, from cosmology, physics, biochemistry, genetics, human consciousness that point toward the existence of a creator. And then we look at the evidence of history mm-hmm. uh, of the existence of Jesus, of his claims to being the Son of God, and of his um, establishing that or proving that by his resurrection from the dead. And we combine all that, and we have a strong evidential case. But the experiential side, I think, is still important, even though by itself it's not enough. Yeah. And, and, and yet, on the other hand, sometimes... Can we fall into the trap of thinking, if I just make the perfect argument, I'll convince this person to cross the line over into faith, whereas, you know, we we do need to make good arguments, but also God has to do a special work, right? Yeah, he does, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, the use of apologetics is a handmaiden, as uh, Luther said, Mm -hmm. to uh, evangelism. It's a way in which God sometimes works in people's lives. Um, Mm -hmm. People are wired up differently. And for some people, they have objections, questions, um, doubts that are holding them up in their spiritual journey. I call them spiritual sticking points. Mm. And I think one of the ways the Holy Spirit helps, you know, draws people toward God is to help them get resolution of those particular issues. And, you know, I think, you know, as long as people pursue uh, evidence. You know, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to have hesitations. Uh, it's natural. But, you know, we're fortunate as Christians because we have an unfair advantage in the marketplace of ideas in that we have truth on our side. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about your relationship with your father. You, you kind of fleshed that out a little bit in this book. Yeah. And, you know, how that kind of shaped your view of God. And I guess the second part of that would be you know, how that also shapes the people in our culture that experience hard relationships with their dads, and yeah. how that keeps this, them from God. 
Yeah, th- this is this is a phenomenon that um, I've been fascinated by, which is the relationship of our um, uh, between our earthly fathers and our perception or willingness to pursue and be pursued by a heavenly father. What often happens is, uh, and, and this has been shown in the lives of famous atheists, uh, Paul Vitz from New York University did a study on this and a book on this, in which he showed that if you go through this, just a list of the famous atheists through history, from Camus and Sartre and Nietzsche mm-hmm. and Freud and Wells and Voltaire, and you just go down the list, all of them either had a father who abandoned them in some way when they were young, or they had a terrible relationship with. And the implication is uh, if you have, if your earthly father has let you down so severely, why would you be interested in the heavenly father? I, I think of the story of my friend Josh McDowell. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Josh, you know, grew up with an abusive, alcoholic father, and when people would tell him that there's a heavenly father who loves you, he was thinking, no, fathers don't love. Fathers are bad. Fathers mm-hmm. hurt. And he became an ordinary atheist until he investigated the evidence and became a believer and, and an apologist. So we're seeing, and in fact, I'm, recent, I'm just now analyzing some poll data that uh, I, I commissioned through the Barna organization, mm. trying to get at this relationship between our, our relationship with our fathers and our belief in God. And I'm finding that, um, you know, through the generations in America, our relationships with our fathers are getting worse yeah. and our skepticism about God is going up. Now, is there a connection? I don't know. But certainly, going back to Freud, uh, the observation has been made that um, our relationship with our earthly father can affect our uh, relationship with our heavenly father. And not always. It's not necessarily the defining factor, but it can be a significant factor. And I believe it was in my life. And what is clear is we are in an increasingly fatherless generation. So yeah, that's right. So we are going to have to think through the way that we we share the gospel with people, knowing that that yes. may be a a point of vulnerability for people, but also it does allow us to point people to hope, right? That there is a father it who does. loves. It does, and it's a way you know we can all, even if you have terrible relationship with your earthly father. We can all imagine what a perfect father would be like. Mm -hmm. He would be loving. He would be gracious. He would be affirming. He would be encouraging. He would be kind. He would be for us 100%, that kind of thing. And you think about that. Yeah, we can all imagine what that would be like. And you know what? That's that's God. Um, So even those who have difficult relationships, I think, can still, in their mind's eye, picture a father who is all that we want in a father. And, and that's the God who is um, wants to adopt us as his children. I'm going to ask just a couple more questions. And you make the case in this book why, why grace is really the thing that sets Christianity apart from other religions. Right. Can you unpack that? Yeah. You know, every other world religion um, is spelled D-O. In other words, you have to do something to mm-hmm. try to earn your way to God. You got to use a Tibetan prayer wheel. You got to go give alms to the poor. You got to be reincarnated a certain amount of times. You have to um, pray in a certain way, abstain from eating certain foods, all these things to try to earn your way to God. Um, Christianity is spelled D O N E. Mm-hmm. It's done. Jesus said in the cross, it is finished. He has paid for our sin as our substitute, paid the penalty we deserve for our sin, and offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. So that's a that's a huge contrast between every other world religion and Christianity. It puts Christianity in a class uh, 
uh, of its own. And the other thing that's unusual about Christianity, and some other world religions claim this, but uh, I dispute it, is that Christianity invites investigation. Uh, you know, Paul said in First um, Corinthians 15, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, you you are within your rights, and you ought to walk away from this if Jesus has not been resurrected from the dead. Well, that's an investigatable issue. We can look at the historical evidence and determine whether or not uh, there is good evidence that Jesus did return from the dead. Other religions aren't like that. You know, you investigate Islam, and you see that um, in Surah 4, verse 156, uh, 157, right in there, it denies that Jesus died on the cross. Mm. Well, I've got great historical evidence from the first century that he did die on the cross. In fact, it's not in dispute right. among scholars in the field. So now you've got a problem historically. Uh, you have a problem historically um, because of the implication then is Jesus didn't rise from the dead uh, when we have all this affirmative evidence that he did. And and uh, you look at Mormonism, they claim historical roots and so forth, and that you can investigate it. But it's very interesting. If you press someone who's a Mormon on why they believe what they believe, ultimately they're going to fall back on, well, I read the Book of Mormon, and I had a burning in my bosom, and I believe it's true. It's mm-hmm. an experiential case, ultimately, because the, the facts don't add up otherwise. So Christianity is unique because it is a grace driven religion. It is a free gift that's unlike any other world religion. And secondly, um, it's unusual because not only does it invite investigation, it stands up to investigation. Right. I have one more question for you, Lee, and yeah. this is this is on a light note. I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, it's a fascinating sure. conversation. Um, you, like me, are a Chicagoan, and so yep. a Cub fan, right? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Long-suffering. Long-suffering, yeah. So before we went on the air, you, you had a joke about the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> could, you, could you tell that again? Yeah, someone, someone told me, he said, you know what Jesus said to the Chicago Cubs? I said, what? He said, Jesus said, don't do anything till I get back. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. And I thought, you know, they may not play baseball, but doggone it, they're faithful. Exactly. They, that's, that's a good thing. But I was, uh, you know, one of the odd experiences in my life is when I was two years old, I was at a banquet that my parents took me to, a sports banquet with a rookie shortstop at that time player for the Chicago Cubs named Ernie Banks, Wow! where he was the speaker. And I'm toddling around. I'm two years old. And I fell down and he picked me up and, and I sat on his lap all during this banquet. And then at the end, he kissed me on the cheek. <laughs> so I have to be a Cubs fan at some level because I've been kissed on the cheek by the great Ernie Banks. There you Banks. go. That's a fantastic story. <laughs> Lee, Lee Strobel, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your work and your ministry. Thanks so much. God bless y'all. Well, I want to thank Lee Strobel for joining me today on the Way Home Podcast. What a great conversation and a great testimony of a man who God has radically transformed and used, really, to proclaim the gospel around the world in many different contexts, defending the Christian faith. I highly recommend his his work, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ, The Case for Christmas, and that whole series is really, really good. When I was pastoring, I used to use his his, his uh, work quite a bit as I prepared my messages, and I really recommend his new book, The Case for Grace. Also, just want to remind you again about our Leadership Summit coming up in March 26th and 27th. 
We will have a coupon code for you that you can find on the podcast page on my website, danieldarling.com. We'll also have all the information and links to the things we talked about with Lee Strobel today. But for now, thank you for joining the Way Home Podcast. You've been listening to the Way Home Podcast. For show notes, more information about Dan or the ERLC, please visit danieldarling.com. This episode has been brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thanks for listening.